A glorious good morning once again to those of you who are in the church and uh, morning to those of you who are watching us and listening to us via online platforms. Please turn with me in your Bible to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. We continue with our series this morning in the book of Ephesians looking at Christ's gift to the church. And we are finding ourselves uh, on chapter 4, our focus is on verse 11, but for the sake of context this morning, we will read from verse 7 all the way to verse 14. May I ask you if you are able to stand on your feet to stand this morning in honor for the reading of God's word. Hear the word of the Lord. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we, we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word. You may have your seat. Let us ask the Holy Spirit to lead into all truth, even as we are about to hear God's word. Our Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. We ask of you. Enlighten our hearts. Enlighten our minds. Open our eyes to see the glories of Christ as they are revealed in your word. Our desire indeed is the desire of Paul that your church should be edified, that your church should be strengthened, that your church should be able to stand, that your church of Father God will be able to be bold enough in declaring forth the glories of Christ and not of man. I'm very much aware, Father God, of the sensitivity of this particular topic 
I ask of you that by your Holy Spirit you grant me the humility and the gentleness, yet boldness, not as to fear men, but as to fear you. For it is in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who judge the living and the dead in whom we stand. You charge us to preach the word. In and out of season, we are aware of the times we are living in that men have accumulated for themselves teachers who desire that they would teach them what their itching ears would love to hear. We know as well that there are some who have devoted themselves to the doctrine of demons in the hour we are living in, aware of the dangers, aware of the times we are living in. We ask that we, your church, would be grounded be rooted in Christ and in his word. We ask and we pray all this for his glory, for the edification of the church. May God's people say amen. Living in the 21st century, one can only imagine, especially in the year 2020, as to how times are. And as we live post-COVID-19, I'm sure that you and I are sitting at a position where we would have, we knew what 2020 put for us. At the beginning of the year, you would remember very well, uh, on the last week of December, a number of churches would gather together and they would make declarations concerning the year coming. And one would imagine and one would see that there is an incessant desire among people both in the church and outside the church to know about the future. That is the reality of the times we are living in. And with that incessant desire, whether it be from the Eastern religions where we do have palm readers who are going to tell you as to this is who you are and this is how, how things are going to go in your life and this is what your future holds. Or we come to the Western religions where we do have astrology and astronomy. The reading of stars. Your life being based as, as, uh, on the basis of the position of stars. Or we come in the church where we do have many who are calling themselves prophets. And they would go with these words, God told me. It looks as though whichever platform that you may find yourself, there is an incessant, there is this continuous, unsatisfied desire and a yearning to know about the future. Now, brothers and sisters, with that in mind, I want you to know this, that whether it be in that Western context or in the African context or in the Eastern context, this kind of a desire, this is where the doctrine or the teaching of prophecy and prophetic movement is thriving on. 
They are thriving on this particular need and particular hunger and the insurgent desire of people that they have turned. The clear display of what the Bible speaks about prophecy and they have manipulated. A lot of religions have started in the name of the prophetic ministry. Let me name a few. The Seventh-day Adventist is birthed out of the prophetic movement of Ellen G. White. Islam, started by Muhammad, birthed from the self-acclaimed revelations by angel Gabriel. The so-called enlightened Christian gathering here in South Africa, right in Pretoria, by the self-acclaimed major one, false prophet Shepard Bushiri. They are all thriving on this movement of prophecy and prophets. The Zion Christian Church, birthed from the same platform of the prophetic movement. Now, I want you to see that there are a lot of people who are following these. The TB Joshua's in Nigeria, where people have to fly all the way from South Africa to Nigeria seeking for some word from the man of God. Now, when it comes to the modern day prophecy and prophets, brothers and sisters, it calls us to be vigilant and we have looked at what the word of God has to tell us. The Bible, both the Old and the New Testament, presents to us that yes, there were prophets in the Old Testament and there were prophets in the New Testament. Now, just to continue with the same theme as to what do we mean, who is a prophet? A simple definition of who a prophet is, the meaning of the word prophets. A simple one. This one is not given by a theologian, by the way. A Webster. Listen to what the Webster Dictionary speaks and says as to who is a prophet. Listen to what Webster defines. Listen to how he defines who a prophet is. Webster in his dictionary defines a prophet as this. A prophet is one who utters, mark these words, he utters divinely inspired revelations, one who is regarded by a group of followers as a final authoritative revealer of God's will. I want us to take that basic definition of Webster, if you can Project it there, please. This is the person who is divinely inspired. And this guy who's writing this, this is not, this is not some theologian of old. This is somebody who, having been in the church and he's understanding, he gives, he gives us this definition. This man, this person, whoever we found and we've seen in the Old Testament, whether it be in the Old or in the New Testament, they were men who were divinely inspired. And as such, they were men who were sent to a particular, to a specific group of people. 
And that group of people, they will regard these men. This is what we see now. Whether it be in the Old Testament to the Old Testament saints, or it was in the church to the New Testament church, the New Testament and the Old Testament believers, they will regard such a one as one with the final authoritative revealer of God's will. I want you to underline those words. Very important. As we come to this discussion and we come to this teaching, Now, if you look at that definition, just that simple definition, this is the person, this is someone who is gifted with more than just ordinary spiritual moral insight. One who foretells the future events. Now, let's come to the actual explanation as to what do we do find. There are different positions when it comes to this particular topic, when it comes to prophecy and prophets. So then this is one who is, who is inspired by God. They do not speak out of their own volition. They do not speak as those who have been sent by an organization. They were, as we see also in the New Testament, men prompted of, inspired by the Holy Spirit to speak as God would enable them. Now, I'll be naive if I do not tell you that there are different positions when it comes to this particular topic. If we can scroll down, you'll see here that when it comes to the, even the understanding of who a prophet is, or the understanding as to, uh, to, 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 to the nature of prophecy, there are those who would say that the, the, the gift of prophecy, when it comes to prophecy today, when it comes to, prof, to, to prophets today, there are two, two, two positions. One that states that, Prophecy and prophets continues to today. That's the first position. In other words, th this position argues that we still have prophets as they were in the Old and in the New Testament. They do carry the same authority and what they say, it's as, 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 as in the same manner as the Old and the New Testament would speak. That is the first position. The second position, however, states that actually what we do have is that prophecy as it was in the Old and in the New Testament, prophecy in that nature has ceased. But yes, we do have prophecies and prophets in the Bible. So there are those two views. The first view would regard prophecy. Uh, the key principle, however, what governs as to their description of prophecy, those who hold on to the position that prophecy still exists today, the continuationists, they believe, and one of the key proponents of this is Wayne Grudem. He's one of, one of the key theologians on the theological platform. 
He, he speaks of prophecy in this way. He says something that God spontaneously brings to mind in the moment. And here's what he says. He says, because we are, we are fallible in the way we perceive it and the way we think about it and the way we speak it, it does not carry, this is, what, this is the di distinction, they say it does not carry the same infallible scriptural level authority. In other words, the, the, this position, the continuationist position, they say, we do have prophets and prophecy today, but it does not carry the same level of infallibility. In other words, it is not as binding as the Old Testament prophecies and prophets were. By implication, what Grudem is saying, what he, this position, what they are saying is, they are saying there might be a possibility of error in that which is said. So we can have it. It's a, they say it's a spontaneous, a spontaneous, a spontaneous word that comes to mind. That is the first position. When it comes to the secessionist position, however, secessionists would maintain to say both the Old and the New Testament prophecies and prophets, in what they say, contrary to what Grudem is saying, the Old and the New Testament prophets, what they said was infallible. In other words, it was binding. Because it came from God, and it was God who was speaking. It had to be as binding, as authoritative, because there is no way, shape, or form in, a, in regard to even what Grudem is saying, that there was a room for error. It does not hold. Here is a position that the belief is from Genesis to Revelation. The Bible demonstrates that there are four foundational true characters to true prophecy. The first one is this. True prophecy, as we see it in the Bible, these are the principles we find. True prophecy was always verbal. In other words, the very words that were spoken were the very words of God. Prophecy, as it came in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, we need to look at it in this way. Because it was God who was using these men to speak and to enable them to speak. It was never an impulse. It was never an expression. It was never something that was said out of one's own feelings. If prophecy was infallible, or if prophecy in the New Testament is infallible, what, what that position is stating is this. is saying that that which God was saying in the New Testament was not binding. And I'll show you the loopholes, the problems that, that comes with this. As such then, if, if, if prophecy was the very words of God, prophecy had to, it, it was always the New Testament prophecies, Old Testament prophecies, there was a precise message that God was communicating. It was not verb. Read with me, 2 Peter chapter 2, chapter 1, verse 20-21. 20, 2 Peter chapter 
1. Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1, listen to verse 20 and 21. Listen to these words. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Look at verse 21. For no prophecy, Peter tells us, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So it was not out of one's own impulse. And if the goal of prophecy as it is given in the New Testament, if the purpose of prophecy, we've looked at this already, as we find in Ephesians 2 verse 20, if God desires to lay the foundation of the church from the teachings of the prophets and the apostles, if God desires to set a foundation, if that is the primary purpose of prophecy in the New Testament, that the church will be built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. If that is the foundation, this view of the infallible nature of prophets in the New Testament implies then that that foundation is not strong enough. There are as it is given in the New Testament. And it, the implication is, then in the New Testament, as the prophecies were given in the New Testament, then there were some mistakes. That's the implication. The third thing that we see then, this is what we, I'm saying, is that true prophecy then is infallible. Whatever God spoke through his prophets was without error. It was unaffected by human Fallibility. That's what Second Peter chapter one verse twenty-one tells us. So true prophecy. Then it was verbal. It was propositional. It was inerrant, and this was how God and desired to speak to His people, because those prophets who were speaking, they were not men who spoke out of their own intellect, out of their own will. Then we can conclude this. To say then prophecy as we see it today. Prophecy then, this is what prophecy is not. Prophecy then, it's not based on the heart. I feel it, I sense it, then I will speak it. It's not like that. Prophecy then as well, it is not just a supposition. Prophecy as well, brothers, it's not just an educated curse. Do you know? This is, this is the fact. In some of these false prophets, especially uh, at the so-called showgrounds, enlightened Christian gatherings, it is known, it is alleged, that what they would do is, they would check your details. And the man of God will take your details way before you come, right? Like the same way we are doing, guys, with uh, a registration for you before you come to church. They will do that. Then the man of God comes. He has his tablet in his hands. 
and you've read them. Can I capture? They use those languages as though they have the spiritual depth and spiritual insights. And they'll tell you, you say on house number 16, be like, yes, man of God. A girl. An educated girl. Or oh, to some of these men who are so-called men of God who are using, even propagating, and they are using even evil spirits. And I'm coming to that, the problems. So then, if we look at the principle, one of the key principles that both who are continuationists and both who are cessationists, here is what I want you to know this. They will both agree on this one fact. They will say, if then we should have prophets in the church, we need to make sure we go by what is written in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. What does 1 Corinthians chapter 14 say? Go there with me and you are going to see what 1 Corinthians chapter 14 says. Because I don't want you to say this is what Gideon says. Let's see what the Bible says. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. They will say this, Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he's actually encouraging that prophecy must happen in the church. That's the argument. And it has to happen in such a way that those who are in the church, they ought to do this. Because Paul commands, look at verse 5, now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. Because the one who prophesies is greater than the one who what? Who speaks in tongues. Verse 6, brothers, if one comes to you speaking in a tongue, how will I benefit you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Then they're going to argue, to say, go with me then to verse 22. Thus tongues are assigned to non-believers, while prophecy is assigned not to unbelievers but to for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speaks in tongue and outsiders and unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy... And unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So in prophecy, the argument is in prophecy then, what we have is that the secrets of one's heart are revealed, rightly so. Let's put it there on record. Verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak and let the other weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn. So they are learning from prophecy. And all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is, a, is not a God of confusion, 
but of peace. Now, what is said there, it's as it is. Paul is demanding in the church in Corinth that they should prophesy, they should speak forth the word of God. That's what he's saying. In speaking forth the word of God, Paul is saying that the church, if sinners would come in your midst, as you are speaking forth God's word, sinners' hearts will be convicted. And it is through prophecy, through the word spoken, that the sinner hears and his heart is brought to bear. His sin is brought to open. Why? Because these men whom God had gifted to the church at this particular hour, the word they spoke was infallible. The word they spoke was authoritative. The word they spoke was inspired. Remember that at this particular time, the early church did not have the completed Bible. I need to put that on record. So then God gives revelation for the purpose of teaching his message to the church. The church is to be built. That's what God desires. The New Testament prophets, they spoke forth. But what they were speaking forth and what they were teaching, mark this, they were teaching and they were speaking forth that which was taught by the apostles. Amen? There is no contradiction whatsoever. Everything that these prophets were to teach, listen to what Paul says then in that verse 36. Everything they were to teach was to be consistent with the teaching of the apostles. It had to be weighed. By this particular time, Christ has appointed apostles. Christ has appointed these apostles as men of authority, the ones who are going to be there to lead the church. But what I want you to see, here's the argument, the prophetic gift of the New Testament is on par with the Old Testament prophetic gift. Everything that they are saying is pointing to in the Old Testament, everything that the Old Testament prophets are saying, everything that they are saying, it's pointing to the Messiah. In the New Testament, the scriptures, they show us that the prophets of the New Testament, they had two primary purposes. They were gifted men given to the church, appointed by God, as we see in Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 8. They were given for the purpose of helping to lay the foundation of the church. These apostles and these prophets, as we find them in the New Testament, they, like the apostles, they received God's revelation. Look at Ephesians chapter 3 verse 5. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 5. Paul will tell us.
concerning the revelation which Paul had received concerning the gospel. He says in verse 5, this, let's start from verse 4 for context sake. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in the other generations, as it is now been revealed to who? To his holy apostles and prophets by the Holy Spirit. They are not infallible in what they are saying. They are not fallible, I mean. They are not fallible in what they are saying. What they say was as binding as the apostles. Therefore, brothers and sisters, if their mandate and their purpose was to lay the foundation of the church, logically, let's think through them together. If their function was to lay the foundation of the church, if their function, their, their key purposes, two key purposes that God had sent them to the church, was that they should lay the foundation. The question is this, has the church's foundation been laid? You answer for me. Has it been laid? It has not been laid. Another question will go like this. How many times do you lay a foundation for your house? Those of you are into construction, you, you need to go for a few seconds with Brother John. He will tell you. How many times do we lay a foundation of a structure? If we lay it once, then the gift of the apostles and the gift of the prophets in the New Testament was infallible and was valid and was binding and was fulfilling its mandate and its purpose. As such, if the answer as well, it's in the affirmative to say that we lay it once, if the foundation then has been laid, the question is, will there be, do we then need the foundation to be laid again? If the foundation has been set, and all these men are core, and this is what you are going to see here, that all those guys, even those who say that, but we are cessationists, we are continuationists, one key guiding principle that they will all agree is this, that if anyone then would stand and they would speak, let's examine them by the word of God. You know Why? Because Hebrews chapter 1 tells us this. Listen to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 to 2. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers. Listen to what the author of Hebrews will say. After he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions, and in many ways, in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. Whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. In other words, what the New Testament teaching is saying is that now everything, we've looked at this, everything finds its fulfillment now in Christ. God has revealed himself to us. 
two kinds of special revelation he reveals to us in the scriptures and in Christ. But now, if we are going to move on and to say that the prophets, we need them today. Here are my problems that I do have with modern day prophets and prophecies. Three problems I do have. Here are the problems. They undermine the Holy Spirit. One. The modern day prophets, brothers and sisters, if you would see how they are operating, they undermine the Holy Spirit. They subdue the Holy Spirit with objects. You can come and you buy a bumper sticker. You know, you know, you know, you see a lot of stickers now in town. You must watch. A lot of those are for, for false prophets. In their minds, and this is what they believe, according to the false prophets, they, they believe that those objects, they function as instruments for mediating God's active presence in the believer's life. They, they think in their mind, they think that the primary role of those objects is to bring the powerful presence of God to the believer, therefore connecting the believer with God. In other words, the lie that they bring is this, that your bumper sticker is more powerful than God himself. Or your bumper sticker is, is as powerful as God himself. Some will have the pictures of their so-called prophet in their homes. You know why? They presume that that says it's, it's more powerful than ADT. Mm. Some will use emirates, bangles, bracelets, cuts, notes, and many other visible and invisible articles. Why? Because in their minds, they are equating that to say this as, 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 as powerful as it is with having God on your side. And what, has, what that has done, I want you to know this, it has created weak Christians. Christians who don't pray. In their minds, they believe that you can just take holy water for some reason and take it to your house. Don't even pray. Spray holy water in your house and that sorts out your house. If you have a job appointment, some of them, the ZCCs, they believe you can take what they call holy oil, put it on your face for some reason. That will give you some, some, some luck to the people you are looking for. And people are buying into that lie. And we have Christians who are no longer now trusting in the word of God, trusting in the presence of the Holy Spirit, but rather they trust in objects. And John Beatty would tell us this. John Beatty is an African philosopher. And listen to what he says concerning emulates and other articles that are used. Because I want you to know that what these false prophets have done, they've just taken what is used in the African tradition religion, and they've just added the name of Jesus and the Bible to it. And they are coming now in the church. Here they are belief. This is what John Beatty, the African Christian philosopher, who, who, who would say. He says, charms... Emirates, medicine drunk or rubbed into the body, articles on the roof or in the fields, cuts on the skin, knots, and many other visible and invisible secret open precautions. They are used. They are used for religious intentions to secure the feeling of safety 
protection so we have all these false prophets who are now parading in the name of Jesus Christ and they are promising people to say that you will be secure nothing bad is going to happen to you but in order for that to happen to you you must buy this sticker but they themselves they have bodyguards have you seen them yeah but for some reason as the church we are okay with it so they undermine that's a problem we do have they undermine the holy spirit secondly they're undermining the son of god jesus christ himself that's what they are doing why because in many ways in most of these false prophet churches the so-called prophet is the mediator between god and man in other words in their thinking the people think that this man is the only one with access to god for some reason your life cannot go to the left or to the right unless this man speaks into it in other words his words the words that he speaks are infallible in other words in their minds they think that he's so authoritative and they would hold him to the same standard with scripture but not only that they hold this man to the same standard with christ that is a problem we do have brothers we're not just trying to name and shame we're not just trying to this is a matter of first importance for the church in africa because if jesus christ is under attack if the person of christ is under attack then the church of jesus christ must stand because we know that Jesus Christ is the only mediator, he's the only sustainer. But what these men are saying, they say that they are the mediators. They say that they are the sustainers. It is only in Jesus Christ, he is the only one who says that I am always with you. He said that, didn't he? He is the one who says that I am the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. We are told that there is only one God, and there is only one mediator between God and man. And who is that man? Jesus Christ. But these men are assuming, and they are trying to take the role of Christ Jesus as a mediator. It was Jesus Christ who said to us, let me remind you, he said to us that I am the bread of life in John chapter 6 verse 35. He said to us that I am the door in John chapter 10 verse 7. No man comes to the Father except through me. It is Christ who said, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Not these men. It is only Jesus. The book of Hebrews tells us, that he is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. In Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25, he is interceding for you and for me. Amen? So the problem we do have with these false prophets of today is that they are undermining the Holy Spirit, but not only that, but they are also undermining the person of Christ. But as this being the man of the Reformation, I want you to know that one of the other fundamental characteristics that the modern day prophets are undermining, the problem is that they are undermining the scriptures themselves. Brothers and sisters, 
Let me conclude by saying this. We as a local church, Florida Baptist Church, we believe that the Bible, both the Old and the New Testament, the 66 books, this is the inerrant, the sufficient, inspired Word of God. In this, we have the will of God revealed to us. Do we have prophecy in this? Yes. 17 books of the whole 66 books contains prophecy. And the last book of this Bible contains prophetic sayings too. The Lord and the Master Jesus Christ that we do follow, He Himself said a number of prophecies, some are yet to be fulfilled. So what are we saying? We are saying, brothers and sisters, that if this kind of practice that we find in the church today is a direct attack to the cardinal fundamental belief of the church of God here on earth. We are saying, brothers and sisters, that we as the church of Jesus Christ, we accept no other word but the word of God. We are saying that no man has a word as binding as we see it written in God's word. We are saying, brothers and sisters, that God has revealed himself and his gospel fully and finally in the Old and in the New Testaments. And that the Bible, the Bible, this one, this one is our sure, sure foundation. The only word of prophecy that we are going to hold on to. This one is a final word. You want God to speak to you? Read it out. You want to know the will of God for your life? Read this book. You want to know about the future? This book has it all. You want your life to be transformed? You don't need any other man to do that for you. This book reveals to us that we are sinners in need of a savior. And this book reveals to us that God has made a way for us. You want to know the blessed assurance that your life needs in time of turmoil. It is found in God's holy word. Inspired, inerrant, authoritative, written for, by 40 authors, written in, in three different languages, over three different continents, approximately over 1,600 years. This book affirms and points us to one man, and his name is Jesus, the one who died, rose again in victory over the grave. Cherish it. In your households, how many times are you spending in this book? Or are we now spending more time on TV than on anything else? How many times are we so obsessed as to what's happening around us that we have now become uh, uh, listeners and disciples of the newsrooms and not disciples of Jesus Christ? How many times do we trust the weatherman more than we trust God? 
That's the kind of generation we are turning to. Slowly but surely, we are no longer depending on this word. Yes, we know it's the word of God. Yes, we know that God has spoken, but we are losing the assurance. We trust the words of the psychologists and all those men who are speaking in this word, other than the word of God itself. But shall we be convicted enough to speak with men like Luther, even in the face of death, Martin Luther would say this, unless I am convicted by the testimony of Scripture or evident reason, I am bound by Scripture authorities cited in this book. And my conscience is captive to the Word of God. Even if men would choose and would ask us to, to deny the word of God, like they did, choose, they did try to force Luther to deny the word, to recant that the scripture is the only fine authority in the time when the Pope thought like he is the fine authority. What he said was binding. What he said was infallible. Men like Luther would stand to say, I cannot recant. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I will recant nothing and I cannot do so since it is neither safe nor honest to do or against conscience. Here I stand, he says, I can do no other. God, help me. May we go out there in the confidence of the word of God, not of the prophets that we see around us. May we go out there knowing that that which God has spoken, the prophets we find in the Old Testament were men who were infallible. What they said was meant to build the foundation of the church. God has spoken. The scriptures have been written. We have the 66 books of the Bible. Therefore, these 66 books testifies and affirms to us that God has spoken everything we need to know about who God is, what he requires of us, is given in his words. Therefore, I can say boldly, we do not need so-called prophets who are claiming to have self-acclaimed revelations. We don't need them in the church today. We need men who are bound by the scriptures. Men who are going to open the word. Men who are going to explain the word. Men who are going to reveal the plans of God. Men who are held captive by nothing else but God's word. Let's bow our heads and we pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your eternal word, living, active, sharper than a double-edged sword. Your word searches the minds, the hearts of men. Come away, the some are weary and they are tired, even as I've been speaking. I know that some were dozing, but I pray that the entrance of your word will bring light and understanding to the simple. Your word will rekindle the passion in us that you would grant us the grace to study it. That we may say with the psalmist in Psalm 119, how I long for your precepts, O God. They are sweeter to my, to my, to my taste like honey and honey and the drippings of the honey from the comb. Oh, may we yearn after you as we find you in your word. May we say with the psalmist in Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you, O God.
May we say with Peter, where else shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. Creating us that desire. Remove any indifference within us. Oh, sometimes we have grown so familiar. Sometimes we are like the men that the author of Hebrews is writing to. We become so dull of hearing. Still babies in Christ, yet we desire, we mature. So remove all the diapers of, of, of sinfulness, all the filth and everything that holds us back to study your word, to devote ourselves to the word, that we may be a people of the book. Take away any filthiness, oh God. Forgive us. Forgive us for treating your word lightly. Forgive us for presuming that we, we are under the power of your spirit when we were not. Forgive us to, to study the scriptures because we have thought that we would understand. But you say you search the scriptures, but the scriptures testify about me. Our desire is not to be informed. Forgive us for turning you into a subject to be studied and not a person to be known. Forgive us for turning you into a theme to be talked and to be preached about and not a master to submit to. Forgive us for such. As you open our eyes to your scriptures, or oh, may there be a reformation and revival in our land. We pray for the God that you silence all the false prophets in our land. We pray that your sheep will hear your voice for you have said that my sheep knows my voice and they follow me. We pray that you rescue your sheep from the hands of the false shepherds and the false prophets. Pray, Father, that you sanctify your church, that at your coming, you, Jesus, may present her faultless, without spot, without wrinkle, that she had been adorned, she's been conformed, to the image of your son. So we pray in our houses, we will create those altars that we will once again turn away from our TVs to your word. We will turn away from the entertainment of this age to your word. We will turn away from the reports of this age to your word, O oh God. So implant us, deepen us, ground us there. Blessed is a man whose trust is in the Lord. And in the law of the Lord, he meditates day and night. For such a man does not walk in the way of the wicked or sit in the seat of scoffers. May our delight be in your word. May this church be known as a church that devotes itself not to men, but to the word of God. So give us that attitude that we may receive the implanted word of God with meekness with gentleness, with great joy, that we may see among us 60, 30, and 100 fold of fruitfulness in all that we do. May we honor you and glorify you. It is for the glory and honor of Jesus Christ, the goodness, the edification of the church, militant here on earth, until we wait for the second coming of our soon coming King, Jesus Christ. May the church of God say, Amen.